You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. Clarinetist Barnaby Robson's new release on Orchid Classics has brought me an enormous amount of listening pleasure these past few weeks. The combination of music by Reich, Debussy, Graham Fitkin and Poulonc creates a technicolour soundscape. Cocooned in amongst all of these, Herbert Howell's clarinet sonata in A. The album is throughout a real treat for the ears. Another Orchid release this year that is full of energy and warmth. Reich's New York counterpoint for 12 clarinets is in particular a bristling album opener. I spoke to Barnaby about the works on the album, his work making it, and its striking cover too. It's lovely to meet you again after such a long time. You've weathered well. (laughs) It's very kind of you, sir. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, It was ESO and it was Britain Piers, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Although I think that it was, I mean, I remember when I first started, when I graduated and you were playing with ESO, people, people spoke very excitedly about you. Did they? <laughs> did you, did you never hear no, that? No, I, I never got that. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. They did. Although I enjoyed playing in ESO enormously. I mean, it was uh, great. I remember them saying that you were very reliable and very nice. Oh. And also a very good musician. Well, that's lovely. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, delighted and, and honoured. Uh, I also noticed, and this doesn't normally happen, but I noticed that you've got one of those garden offices, haven't you? I have got one of these garden. Yeah, it's the it's called the Shedio, and in, in it, you know he's off down the Shedio again. Oh, okay. for another two days, because <laughs> I sort of occasionally writes write some music in here, and 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 in fact, have, I've also recorded a few things in here. Um, you can't get many people in here, but um, it's it's sort of quite good for some things for sort of multi-track stuff and overdubs. It's great. I dream of having one of those. Well, that, that I can highly recommend it, is all I can say. <laughs> Just because you're cut off from other people. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. the first thing I want to say about uh, your new album on Orchid is that I adore the cover. Oh, I'm I so absolutely pleased adore that the you cover. Said that. Yeah. I understand that there is some unease about how the cover might land. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Well, which, Matthew, which I makes mean, me Matthew, love it even more. Yeah, he said, he said, we we sort of need some text on the cover, and I said, well, do we? And he was like, well, I, I have been thinking about that, but 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 we sort of haven't really been brave enough. And I was like, well, you know, Pink Floyd did it like about thirty years ago, so isn't it about time we sort of someone in the classical world did it? And 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 he said, yeah, let's do it. So so we have, and and I think it looks great. Um, it I mean, you think it, of Liechtenstein. It Liechtenstein. is Liechtenstein. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Look, look at that. Yeah. Look at me knowing about. I art. mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a Liechtenstein print called the Red Lamp, right? And and it holds kind of well. It was it was he he made it in he created the work in ninety two, which was the year that I went to uh, America to study after the Guildhall. Um, so that sort of has a tie in and. Um, there was a, I don't think you'd sort of find it now in, in Manhattan, but there was a kind of rundown poster shop round the corner from where I lived while I was studying there. And it sort of had all the normal kind of like New York postcards for, for the tourists to send home and all that stuff at the front. Then if you went into the back of this sort of rather sort of 
shambolic kind of shop, there were um, prints by New York artists and there was the red lamp that is now on the front cover of the, the album. And it was sort of just sitting there at the back of this shop. And I used to sort of, go, and amongst some other of Lichtenstein's stuff, because he's more, he's sort of better known for the brush strokes and, and mm. all of that stuff. So, um, and there were a few few things like that in there. And I think they might have had a couple of war holes and stuff. I mean, this is, you know, early 90s. So this stuff was sort of knocking about. It would now be, be in a uh, very expensive uh, auction house somewhere, I'd imagine. Was it a print, um, though? I mean, you're telling me about the print or the original? It's well, it it is a. I think there was a limited. He did a limited run of like 200 prints. So yeah, they are they are individual prints that were made by him or by his studio. Um, they're not a copy. It's not a copy of the, you know, like a poster. Um, yeah. So and I used to go in there and have a look around, and I, that image always stuck in my mind. And I thought that would make a fabulous album cover <laughs> one day. But doesn't that <laughs> right? Okay. But doesn't that also mean that you have to seek permission? I did. Oh, yeah. what did they say? What the hell are you doing? Don't they do said, that. They no. They said. Well, they said we. Yeah, sounds like a really good idea. I don't think I'm the first person to ask them to to use Lichtenstein things on the front cover of albums. Right. Um, right. You know, I think they're fairly used to it, and they've got a kind of system set up, but. Yeah, they, they were really open to it. And they just sort of basically said, can you not stick text all over it? So I was like, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. OK. OK. You know, that's, uh, I didn't want to do that anyway. That's the explanation. Yeah. <laughs> we can't. We're not allowed to give it a title no, no, because. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. OK. Yeah. Uh, I've listened to all of it and I love all of it. Uh, but that's right. partly because obviously I'm a clarinetist and I'm biased because obviously yeah. clarinet yeah. is the best instrument in the orchestra. Um, but uh, I particularly good. like I particularly like the Reich, which Am I right in saying you recorded every single line? I did. Absolutely mad. Um, well, okay. So th- this 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 piece is this re- my recording of it has had a long kind of history because I started working on it. Um, I won't say how many years ago, but it was a f- it was quite a few years ago with a fabulous sound designer, recording engineer called Martin Campwell, who is um, he does kind of like well he won a BAFTA for Bond and stuff like he's like he does really big time sort of Hollywood films. But he also does more sort of arty stuff as well, occasionally. Um, and we started, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to have a tape, because because Reich in the score calls it the tape that you've got to play with. So I wanted to have a tape to to work with in the live environment, because there is there is one that you can hire, but we won't, perhaps we won't go into that. Um, it's a li- little bit. Uh, it was pe- perhaps it was done sort of quite quickly and um, and, and rather, <laughs> right. anyway. We'll, okay. we'll pass. Not that you're but, passing judgment or anything. No, not at all. No. But I no. just thought I, I thought well, actually, I'm sure I'm sure I can have a go at this. So so we did. So we started working on it. And um, when when I say it was a few years ago, I mean it was digital. We were we were we were recording digitally, but only just. So that'll give you some idea. Um, and 
we've basically kind of chipped away at it. And at some stage we got it into Pro Tools and then I learned how to use Pro Tools through doing kind of various film projects and other composing type things. So I started kind of editing editing it. And over the years, we've, we've just sort of had various versions of it, but we've never ever put the live part on. Um, and so one of the big reasons for doing this album was that I wanted to finally put the live part on top of all the others. Because uh, I've used it loads of times in concerts and, and, and other players have, you know, have used it. Mark Van Der Veel's used it with the Sinfonietta, which has been, you know, lovely for him uh, that he's wanted to use it and all that stuff. So, so I thought this, this would be a great opportunity. So, um, yeah, so I have finally added, after all these years of playing it with the tape, I finally put the live part on. Um, and that was interesting as well, because the way that the piece is written, the live part sort of acts like a kind of spotlight and it picks out all the, it sort of, as the piece is going through, it sort of highlights the, the little uh, rhythmic intricacies that are going on and, and draws your attention into different um, parts of all the compound rhythms. And, and so the editing process in that was very interesting, um, you know, making sure that it, what, that it was doing what the music, what the score says. Um, because it is one of his more complicated uh, scores rhythmically, I think. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's so easy to over edit that music. You know, I mean, I think that there is a, the, the one way that you could do it would, would be to sort of record four bars and just copy paste, you know, and just go through it and just do it like that. And I think that sort of, that would be a real, real shame to do that. And that would be cheating. Well, it well it sort of would be, but would it be? I don't know because someone yeah, once said to me, um, "Well, I think Wright would want it to be as absolutely accurate as possible," and I sort of agree. But on the other hand, you don't want it to sound like a sequencer. No, I want that as an audience member. I want there to be some jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, want to, so, I want to go. Oh my god, he's living on the edge. It, well, exactly. You know, and I and I think that um, because of the way that we originally recorded it. Um, sort of stage one of this process I, I stood there in front of the microphone and I played through every single part and occasionally Martin would punch in and out you know if I sort of sort of um, went wrong somewhere uh, and 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 the edit in during the editing process we have tidied that up a little bit and and as I say when we've added the live part we've sort of ah okay right I understand what he you know where he's trying to bring out that section of the bass clarinet or whatever
what surprised me about hearing it was how it sounded so full of character, as in it turned out to be a character. And I hadn't really heard his music and New York Counterpoint in that way before. Do you know what I mean? As in the result of all of that, it was almost as though there was a persona that had been created where hitherto I'd heard it as something... um, when I say that I heard it as something quite cold, I don't mean that it was cold. It was just yeah, a no, no. So anyway, do, yeah, do you know what I mean? There you was can get, well, that's what I mean. I think I think you can get over analytical about it. You you can in the editing process. You have to be really careful that you're sort of keeping a performance there. You're you're and, and also I have to give massive credit to Martin because you know the way you record the clarinets, the, that number of clarinets on mass sonically can be a real. It can be a real. Yeah, I'm immediately <laughs> thinking of university clarinet choirs. Yeah, thinking, exactly. Oh my god! You know, man. I mean, even a you know a clarinet quartet, unless it's really class, you know, classy players, and and it's really worked on and it's really tuned, it can sound like a squeeze box, can't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So if you put eleven of the things together, yeah, you get an awful. You can get an awful lot of honk. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, know, you can. And, and I think. I think credit credit to Martin and, and 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 you know all the engineers that 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 have done the piece and made it sort of created some uh, some room sonically in there because it's a very dense sound, mm. um, you know, and you can end up with a sort of mush in the middle and then the top the, the live part sticking out the top and the bass is down the bottom and to kind of really get that to to sit and 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 have some warmth to it I think is what's you know you don't want to kind of make everything too clinical and too clean. Because you, you lose the warmth. Before I get onto the howls, the other thing that really took my breath away was the first movement of the Poulong. <laughs> Okay, um, well, so the, that idea came a little bit from having gone through the process of the Reich. Um, and actually, a few years ago, uh, someone said, can you, can you come and record the Poulenc, uh, you know, two clarinet sonata? And I, yeah, yeah, I'd love to, love to, love it. Who would you like to do it with? And I, and I said, well, why don't we just, why don't we just do it me? And I mean, that's me, not, that, me, that me, me, terribly, me. yeah, but it was more like sort of like it would be quite an interesting thing to, to see if it was possible to do it. And I'm afraid the reaction from the engineer, I, I couldn't repeat on your podcast, but it, it wasn't favorable. So so that idea got shelved. Um, but when having done the Reich and everything, I thought, well, I'm sure, you know, if you can do that, then we, we should be able to do two clarinets in that in a similar way. Um. However, I can I can tell you it was a tortuous process. <laughs> uh, really tortuous was. because, but, well, because because it's fr- because it's unlike the Reich, it's kind of free, you know, and you you can't really stick a click on it. Um, I mean, there were a few bars that you can, but the but then the next bar you can't. So then you've got a sort of you've got a kind of technical uh, issue uh, in terms of the, the studio technique, if you want to call it that, of how of how you do it. Do you you know, do you go through, do you record the bars that you can do to click? And then do, do you sort of somehow kind of slot in the free bars? Um, I mean, particularly in that middle, I'm thinking that middle section of the first movement. 
which which is like a sort of a kind of repeated accompaniment isn't it and it's and it's marked like to be played like a cadenza to be played really free you know so um so it was a case of just like <laughs> play a bit edit a bit play a bit more edit a bit more kind of sort of listen to what you've done try and try and like you're accompanying I mean like you're playing with somebody else you you sort of it was a, a case of rehearsing it except I was rehearsing it with with the tape effectively with the bit that I just edited um but it was it was a similar process to, to how you'd rehearse it um you know with 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 another player I mean I guess one one could would you could sort of cite the whole covid thing and the problems of being able to get together with anybody else um you know except at a two meter distance and 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 sort of sort of the thought of getting together and rehearsing it and all the rest of it and i thought actually you know what you know i've got the microphones i've got the stuff i'll just get on and do it i mean and it was it i did enjoy it i but it was very tortuous <laughs> And also the howls. Which is recently yes. discovered. Does that suggest that you discovered it? Uh, well, credit to a student of mine, actually. <laughs> okay. I was, You're I was, riding on somebody else's coattails. Now. Yeah, I, I, totally. Yeah, right. no, she she was um, a po uh, postgraduate student. I think she came from the states uh, to do some, you know, to do a year at the Royal College of Music, and she was researching British clarinet music and all that stuff. And and she sort of, you know, bowled into the teaching room one day and said, "I've just found uh, the, the manuscript of the house at the bottom of a cardboard box in the library." I was like, in the okay. in the Royal College of Music in the Royal Library, yeah, in, in yeah. And I was like, okay, <laughs> it's not like you had to go very far for it. <laughs> but I wow. think it's the fact that it was in the it was in this cardboard box. You see that she discovered it, um, and and then she said, and it's got loads of different notes in it from from the printed edition. So I, I was I was like, okay, well, that's, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting, and. Um, uh, and then, anyway, so long, long story short, um, it turned out that she, she'd sort of found a, a, a photocopy. The manuscript is in the RCM library and it's carefully kept, of course, by, by the staff there. And, and to know, emphasize, not in the bottom of a cardboard not box. In the, no, no, no. okay, not right. in the right. bottom of the cardboard box. But um, it did, when I looked at it, 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 she was absolutely right. It was like there was a, well, there was a completely different version of the second movement. Um, well, the first 20 bars were the same, and then it was pretty much new material. And also, uh, when I sort of dug a bit bit further, that the the end of the what we regard as the 
you know, the printed second movement was not the same either. So in fact, there were three different endings to the piece. There was the one that's, you know, the printed one, then there was this sort of um, manuscript version, then there was this uh, earlier draft of the second movement. And so, if I'm, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the piece. I did it with, studied it with Thea King and it was written for Thurston and there was all that sort of tie in. And, and I think, you know, I mean, in all honesty, I think there's few really great clarinet and piano pieces. Um, and I think the house, the house is is one of them. Um, I realised that you studied with Thea King. Yeah, yeah. What was well, she like? She was. Uh, it was amazing in the sense that you didn't tend to have lessons at. Well, I studied with her at the Guildhall. Of course, she was at the college for many, many years, and then went to the Guildhall in her last. I don't know, probably ten years of teaching. I might might be slightly out on that but it's roughly about that um but you did you didn't tend to have lessons at, at Guildhall you used to go to her house um in West London and she had this amazing music room with a with a sort of piano and shelves you know just like around the whole room cut with scores books letters from letters from Finzi you know manuscripts of the Finzi can share and she go she go like oh hang on a minute no no backs I'm sure backs was what meant these notes and she pulled the back sonata off the shelf wow and, and she said yeah no look he scribbled out that, that that bar and put these notes in and I mean it was amazing and part of the whole thing with the house was I thought well what on earth happened to all that stuff you know where did it all go because you know she she her and Thurston were married, but they didn't have kids. So, so I wondered where it had all disappeared to, um, because I thought, well, this is, you know, the Howells sort of thing aside, you've got all these other pieces that were written for Thurston, the, the backs, the Finzi, all the rest of it. Um, and, and it would be really interesting to know where all this source material has gone to. So that was another sort of rabbit hole that I went down with this project. <laughs> listening to the thoroughly good classical music podcast presented by john jacob follow thoroughly good on twitter at thoroughly good thoroughly underscore good on instagram and thoroughly good me on facebook <laughs>